Glad to be back with you. For those I haven't met, I am Matt Morton, uh, the teaching pastor here at Grace Creekside. So uh, what a joy to be back with you to dive into the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're going to talk about friendship this morning from the book of Proverbs. And as I was thinking about this topic, I was reminded of some photographs that my dad sent to me a few years ago. He compiled some pictures together, digitized some pictures from my childhood, uh, from my brother's childhoods, and sent them. And uh, along with all the pictures, I found some pictures of my uh, four-year-old birthday party. So uh, here I am uh, blowing out my candles. That's my older brother behind me. My parents went to Oklahoma, so that's why he's wearing that abomination of a shirt. Uh, But uh, so four-year-old birthday party, I enjoyed scrolling through these, and there were uh, pictures in there like this one, and uh, it stopped me short because I realized as I looked at the picture, I don't remember who any of these children are. Uh, These kids must have been kids that were in my life when I was four, but subsequently they're, they're not in my life anymore as far as I know. Maybe they are, and I just don't recognize them or remember anymore. But uh, that's often the way it is, isn't it? When you're four years old, your parents tend to pick your kids for you, or your friends for you. Uh, They often pick your friends based upon who their friends are. If you've got small kids, a lot of times the kids that come to their birthday parties are the kids of your friends. Or maybe they talked to somebody once at school and you said, I want that kid to be their friend. And so you pick the friends. Uh, But they may not remember. They may not connect in the long run with those friends, right? So as I was looking through the pictures, I also ran across this. And what was interesting was, I do remember that present. I remember that plastic toolbox more than I remember the kids who were at the party. And I know that's sad, but it's just the reality. For most of us, though, as we get older, there comes a point in our lives when we decide, I want to pick my own friends. I want to choose my friends. And maybe you've got uh, different criteria for how you choose your friends. It may be as you're in junior high or high school, you just say, I want to I be friends with the cool kids, the ones who look like everyone's supposed to look and hang out with the cool kids. That was me when I was that age, when I was in junior high or high school. I just wanted to be a part of the right group. Or maybe you pick your friends based on shared interests. Uh, you both like sports or music or whatever it may be, and so you pick your friends based on shared interests. Maybe, best case scenario, you pick your friends based upon shared values, you say, I want to have friends that are, that are righteous, that are courageous, that are kind, that are loving. I want to have friends that are godly. So as we get older, we begin to recognize that the people we spend time with really impact our lives in powerful and meaningful ways. None of us walks through life successfully without good friends. And as we get older and we begin to choose our friends, we we realize some friends are better than other friends. Some friends bring out the worst in us. There are some friends that you may have had, and I know this has been the case with me at times in my life. You may have had friends that brought out cynicism or anger or gossip or immorality in your own life. They led you in the wrong direction. Other friends bring out the best. They bring out the courage and and the love and the kindness and the righteousness and the godliness that you aspire to. They lead you in good directions. As we look at the scripture, we, we see very clearly 
that the types of people that one runs with often largely direct the course of one's life. That is true whether you are seven or whether you are 97. Our friends have a deep impact on our lives. You only have to read the stories of Scripture to begin to understand this. Think about David and Jonathan, these two men who encouraged one another toward righteousness and godliness and courage. Or Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who in a hostile foreign land encouraged one another to keep walking with God, to keep obeying God, even when it cost them. Or Ruth and Naomi, who who helped one another to navigate the difficulties of a hard life as widows as they returned to the promised land. Or when you get to the New Testament, Paul and his friends, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, and many others who encouraged him and supported him as he shared the gospel all over the world. Even Jesus had friends. Now I recognize Jesus' friends were far from perfect and they often let him down. But Jesus relied upon his friends during his earthly life. Nobody successfully navigates their life all alone. And yet, and yet, Americans are a deeply lonely people. If you read the statistics, you will find that roughly half of Americans report being regularly, often or quite often, lonely. We feel isolated. Those are just the ones that feel frequently and consistently lonely and isolated. The loneliest generation is Generation X, uh, Z, excuse me, Generation Z. Those who are just entering adulthood now. The oldest ones are in their their early to mid-20s. 75% of Generation Z reports feeling isolated, lonely on a regular basis. And what's tragic is loneliness It isn't simply something that we feel that has no impact on the rest of our lives. If you look further, you'll find that loneliness can actually make you sick. Generation Z right now reports being the loneliest and they report being in worse health physically, mentally, spiritually than people in their 70s. Loneliness increases your risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, arthritis, and suicide. One study from 1988 found that the health risks of loneliness are worse than the risks of high blood pressure, lack of exercise, and smoking. Being lonely can increase your odds of death about the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So if you have a choice, go to the gym or make a friend. The data would say, make a friend. Now maybe you can do both. But loneliness is dangerous, and isolation is not what we're made for. The Scripture talks about it a lot. As we dive into the Proverbs then, we're going to see what Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, says to his son about friendship, the types of friends that you want to seek and the type of friend that you want to be. This is really interesting because we know that at least one of Solomon's sons, in fact, the one who succeeded him on the throne, a guy named Rehoboam, His whole kingdom was torn apart 
because he made the wrong friends and listened to the wrong friends. You may remember the story of Rehoboam after Solomon died. Uh, Rehoboam had some advisors who were older who were giving him counsel about how to take care of the people in his kingdom. But then there were some younger friends, some peers who said, no, 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 Rehoboam, what you need to do is you need to be even harsher and stricter and more difficult than your father was. Get these people in line. Rehoboam listened to his young friends and 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel said, we're out of here. And he split the kingdom in half. And so Solomon sees these dangers on the horizon for his son. And he says, I want to show you what good friendship looks like. As we move through the scriptures then, we're going to see we need good friends in order to know God deeply and in order to navigate life successfully. Before I dive into some of the Proverbs, let me show you some passages uh, from other places in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, a passage many of us are familiar with. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says, if you want to keep following Jesus, if you want to hold fast to your faith, you cannot do it alone, and you dare not do it alone, but you need friends with whom you can gather in the midst of a culture like ours that was hostile to the faith. This writer says... I want you to gather together regularly to look one another in the eyes, to sing together, to worship God together, to provoke one another, to follow Jesus, to love others well. You need other people to do that. We don't just gather together to hear a sermon or to hear some songs. We gather together to hear from one another and to be encouraged by one another. Friends help us hold fast the faith. Friends also just ease our passage through life. This is from Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the other will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Right, the writer of Ecclesiastes, this teacher, probably Solomon, who also wrote Proverbs, he says, it is easier to navigate your life with good friends than without them. Or as Solomon says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We will be shaped, transformed, and changed by the people we spend our time with, either for good or for bad. I ran across actually one study a few years ago that said uh, you begin to actually physically resemble your best friends. Your face starts to look like their face. And they said the reason they think is because over time you match their facial expressions and you might begin to dress like them or do your hair like them. And so physically your face will begin to look like their face. So I want you to think about your friends. Do you want your face to look like their face? Do they have an angry face or a joyful face? You will be impacted by those you spend time with. This is true, again, whether you're 7 or 97. 
And the scripture is going to challenge us then to ask this question, what does a good friend look like? And am I seeking good friends in the pattern of God's word? And am I, am I becoming a good friend? Do I have this type of friend? And am I this type of friend? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And I want to give a few characteristics from the proverb of what a good friend is. What is a good friend? And here's what we're going to see from the book of Proverbs. I'm going to start here. A good friend, first of all, is godly. A good friend is godly. Uh, Very simply, a good friend is somebody who walks closely with God and then encourages me to walk closely with God. Let me show you a couple of passages. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So if I run with people who are righteous, who do what what is right in God's eyes, who follow his commandments and seek to know him better, that person will be a guide to my life who leads me in the right direction. But the way of the wicked leads them astray, leads us in the wrong direction. I will follow the pathway of the people that I am walking with. If they go to the right, I will go to the right. If they go to the left, I will go to the left. I will follow the pattern of life of those that I walk with. Here's another one. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you remember in the Proverbs, there are really three primary characters that Solomon introduces. There's the wise person. The wise person is the one who knows how to take the truth of God's word and apply it to their life in skillful ways that fit with the character of God, that, that are wise, that, that are going to lead in a good direction. Then there's the naive person, the youth, the young person. The young person isn't a fool, nor is he wise, yet he's just uneducated. He's ignorant about the ways of wisdom. This would be a child or a youth or somebody who just has never been taught how to walk wisely. That person needs instruction. Then there is the fool. The fool is a person who has heard the way of wisdom and rejected it and said, I don't want to walk that way. I want to walk my own way. And you remember in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon says, how do we get wisdom? Well, he says it. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To know God, to walk with God, to pursue God, that's the beginning of wisdom rather than foolishness. And Solomon, he he paints it in very stark terms. He says, every moment, every person is either moving toward wisdom or moving toward foolishness. You're either moving closer to God's way or farther from God's way. And the people you walk with will have a huge determining impact on which way you walk. That is true not, again, just for teenagers or young adults, but for every I don't know how many of you have heard about a very famous psychological study that was done decades ago called the Ash Conformity Study. Ash is just the guy that did the the study. And here's what he did. He got a bunch of people in a room and he gave them a quiz. So let me just give you one example of one of the uh, questions on the quiz. Here it is. Uh, Very simple. Which one of the lines on the right matches the length of the line on the left, right? A, B, or C. Now, self-evidently, the answer is C. It's not a trick question. C is the one that matches the line on the left. So he got a bunch of people together, asked them really simple questions like that. But here was the trick. Uh, There was only one person actually being studied. Everybody else in the room was in on the study. 
And as they went through these questions, what they did was he started having everybody else in the room who was in on the study answer wrong. They would answer incorrectly. So you would, you would go around, and if you're sitting in the room, imagine you don't know what's going on. And, it, and the answer is self-evidently C. But as they go around the circle, people start being like B. 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 And you're, you're confused, right? Because you're like, either all of these people lack basic math skills or something's wrong with me. And so what would happen is the first time that they went around and did that and everybody answered wrong, most people would get back around and they'd still answer correctly. They'd be like, it's C. But then they'd do it again, second time, third time, fourth time. By the time they went around after eight, nine, ten questions of everybody else answering wrong, 75% of those being studied changed their answers to fit in with everybody else. And remember, this was just a 20 or 30 minute research study that you were sitting in on. This wasn't a lifetime of walking with people who were constantly giving answers contrary to the word of God. A good friend is godly, leads us in the way of righteousness. All of us are affected by others. Bad company, as Paul says, corrupts good character. Are the people we are walking with leading us toward the way of Jesus or away from the way of Jesus? Uh, as we've been teaching our teenage kiddos to drive a car, uh, we learned there are some rules in the state of Texas that they have now that they didn't have when I was learning to drive. Uh, namely, if you are under 18, I think it is, you cannot drive after midnight without special permission and if you're under 18, you can only have one unrelated friend in the car with you at a time. And I thought about that, and I thought, those are good rules that they should have probably had when I was a kid. And here's why. Uh, many, many, maybe most, of my bad decisions as a teenager happened while I was driving after midnight with multiple unrelated people in my car who began to egg me on, right, to go, oh, why don't we try this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we drive 90 in A30, right? Why don't, we, why don't we run that stop sign? Why don't we drive by and throw biscuit dough at people's cars, right? All of these things, right? Because bad company corrupts good character. And so now, knowing that, it's written into the law of our state. Bad company corrupts good character. You will become like those that you run with. Here's another proverb. Do not make friends with an angry person. Pretty stark. And do not associate with a wrathful person. Why? Lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Make friends with an angry person, you might become an angry person. Make friends with a gossip, you're more likely to be a gossip. Make friends with a cynic, you're more likely to become a cynic. But make friends with a person who is kind, righteous, God-fearing. And you're more likely to become that kind of person. Are you that kind of friend? And are you making those kinds of friends? A good friend is godly. Secondly, a good friend is honest. A good friend tells the truth, even if it's hard for us to hear. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Do we have friends that will tell us the truth, even if it's hard? That will say, as I'm helping you walk with Jesus, I'm going to reflect to you some areas in your life where you may need change 
and transformation? Am I the kind of friend who does that for others? And do I make friends who will do that for me? And if I have those friends, do I hear them? Do I listen to them? Do I receive it? Uh, Early on, when American Idol was first on TV, I would occasionally watch it. And if you've, if you've not watched it, you know, it's just basically a singing competition show, right? So they go through the first rounds and, and they, they pick the people who will go to the next round and then the next round. And then eventually, of course, America votes on who's going to be the winner, the best singer, the best performer amongst all of these hopefuls. But if you've watched the show, you know that in the early rounds, there are some people who show up believing that they compete, can compete to be one of the best singers in the entire nation, and they cannot carry a tune in a bucket. And often I watched it early on, and I thought, man, if you have gotten to that place, and you cannot carry a tune in a bucket, somebody in your life let you down. Somebody in your life, somewhere, should have said to you, that's a bad idea. Right? Maybe your mom should have said it, and instead she said, no, 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 you can do whatever, whatever you put your mind to. No, no, you can't, because you can't sing. <laughs> right? Maybe it was a friend, whoever it was, and all of a sudden these people are standing on national television exposed, and the first time somebody says, you can't sing, is in front of millions of people, because maybe they lacked a friend who was willing to wound them in the short term, to protect them in the long term. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Here's the reality. Most people in our lives will not tell us the truth. Most people in our lives will tell us what they think we want to hear. And maybe you and I are often the same. Now, I want to be clear. Honesty does not mean unkindness. Again, if you watched American Idol, you know early on there was this Judge Simon Cowell whose goal seemed to be to insult and to hurt and to wound. But it does mean truthfulness. Just a couple verses down. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. There's a way to speak the truth, especially if I trust you and you trust me. There's a way to speak the truth that can encourage me and build me up and restore me. Even just a few days ago, I had, I had an issue in my own life that I needed some input from a friend, some counsel from a friend. And so uh, I did not call a person that I believed would just tell me what I wanted to hear. But I wanted somebody who would give me truthful, objective input, even if it wasn't what I originally thought I wanted to hear. A good friend is honest, speaks the truth. Because they want you to become more like Jesus. And sometimes that requires all of us to see areas of our life where we fall short and hear that reflected back. A good friend is godly. A good friend is honest. Thirdly, a good friend is trustworthy. A good friend is trustworthy. What I mean by trustworthy is that when you speak to a good friend about issues and concerns in your life, about struggles and challenges in your life, you can trust this person to keep your confidence, trustworthy. Now again, I wanna say, a lot of these have to be qualified. I am not saying that your good friends should be willing to hide a body for you or conceal your elaborate web of criminal enterprises. That's not what I'm getting at. If you're actively hurting other people, that may be something that needs to be exposed, that needs to be brought into the light. 
right? But if you have a friend and you share with them, here's an area in which I struggle, an area of my thought life, an area of my actions, an area where I'm struggling to walk closely with the Lord. They're not going to trumpet that to the world. They're not going to share it with other people. Let me show you a couple of passages. First of all, the one who goes about slandering others reveals secrets, but the one who is trustworthy conceals the matter. Now here, this word slander, slandering, this is referring to a person who intentionally likes to talk about things that other people are doing wrong. They intentionally like to share and air somebody else's dirty laundry specifically to embarrass, to hurt, to humiliate, or maybe to elevate themselves, right? We, we all have probably met people like that. Uh, most of the time, we would be wise to steer clear of people like that. But there is something sort of alluring if somebody comes to you with secrets, right, about somebody else. There's a famous quote from uh, Alice Roosevelt Longworth, the daughter of Teddy Roosevelt. She said, if you haven't got anything good to say about anybody, come sit next to me, right? A lot of us, that's how we think. I want to hear the dirt. And if I have the dirt and somebody else wants to hear the dirt, then I'll share it even if it hurts another person. Right? Proverbs 11 says, the person who goes about slandering others, they're, they're, they reveal everybody's secrets. But the trustworthy person is willing to conceal a matter for the good and the friendship of the other person. Right? A, a person who consistently says this to you, I probably shouldn't say this, but... The Proverbs would say that's a person to steer clear of. Because here's, here's also what we know. If they will tell somebody else's secrets to you, they will tell your secrets to somebody else. Another passage, the one who goes about gossiping reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with someone who is always opening his mouth. I love that imagery. The gossip here isn't the willful slanderer like we saw in the past verse. Uh, this is just the person who cannot keep their mouth shut. The person who just for whatever reason, it's just, it's just too good to share, right? They learn some juicy secret about somebody else and they've just, everybody's got to know about it, right? So they, they learn that you've got some sort of hidden rash and they're just like, it's just too good to keep to myself, and so they open, they're just like, I, I know that, that this is probably something secret, but blah, 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 right? And they just have to say it. And the proverb says, watch out for that kind of person. Do not associate with someone who is always opening his mouth to share all the juicy tidbits. A good friend is trustworthy. Do you have friends in your life that you can bring your struggles, your challenges, your joys to. And you know they'll pray and they'll help, but they won't share it with other people. They keep your confidence when it's appropriate and necessary to keep your confidence. Are you that kind of friend? Or are you the sort of person that if somebody tells it to, it's going to make its way to at least somebody else? who will then make it to somebody else. How many times have some of us been like, well, I'm only going to tell this one person, but I'll keep it secret other than that. But then that one person says, I'm only going to tell this one person, who will only tell this one person, who will only tell this one person. And before you know it, right, the entire greater BCS region 
knows about the issue. A good friend is trustworthy. So a good friend is godly. A good friend is honest. A good friend is trustworthy. Fourthly, a good friend is respectful. This was the best way I could think of framing this one. Let me show you the verse, and then uh, you'll probably understand better what I mean by this. A good friend is respectful. Here's the verse, Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, or he will become weary of you and hate you. All right. What a, what a vivid, brilliant verse. I love this. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, or he will become weary of you and hate you. Uh, I think many of us can think of somebody in your lives that you go, yep, that's true. Right, because there are some people, they, they want to be friends, but they don't understand boundaries and space. They don't understand the respect that I need to show to your space and you show to my space. I, I was reminded uh, when I read this passage, this true story, when I was in college, one weekend, we had a get-together at our apartment uh, as college students. And so we had, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 students at our apartment just uh, eating food and hanging around, all that kind of stuff. And, and as happens with parties, um, after a couple of hours, people started to trickle away. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, people kind of trickle away in waves. And so it'll go from, you know, 40 people to, to 30 people to 25 people. And, and after about three hours, there's about five people left. And then finally, those those people mostly trickle away. And so this was, this was going on at this party, except there was one guy after everybody else left that was still there. And it was just uh, my roommates and me and this one guy. And so, you know, we began after about 15 minutes of him being there alone to give off, you know, kind of subtle signals that it was time to go. You know, like, oh man, yeah, getting late. Got an early class tomorrow. You know, you're stretching, you're yawning. He continues to talk continues to talk. We're continuing to give off signals. So uh, we finally, literally, I, I said, you know what? I'm really tired. I'm going to go get ready for bed now. Uh, so went into my room. He follows me to the threshold of my room, continues to talk. I go into the bathroom. I put on my, my pajamas, come back out. He continues to talk. I get into my bed and begin to turn off the lights. And he's still standing in the threshold of my doorway, talking. And I finally said, hey, man, leave. Like, you got to go. It's time. Right? What is the issue? Well, this is the issue that Proverbs 25 talks about. Except think about it in a long-term, ongoing scale. A person who says, I don't respect your space enough to let you have any. And here's the real problem with that. When I do that, when I feel like I have to smother another person, constantly calling, constantly there, never allowing them to be friends perhaps with somebody else, never allowing them that space, what I'm demonstrating is this, that I don't trust God with their life or my life. I don't trust that God can work in their life if I'm not there. And I don't trust that God will meet my needs for friendship if I'm not right in this person's face. I don't trust that, that God can, can keep this friendship going even if I don't always carry all the labor of having to be in this person's face all the time. And so Solomon says to his son, look, 
There's an appropriate amount of space. Yes, we want to initiate. Yes, we want to be in people's lives. But there is also an appropriate amount of space to say, I'm going to give this person the room to grow on their own, the room to live without me always there. A good friend is godly, honest, trustworthy, respectful, because we trust God's work in our lives and in the lives of other people. Godly, honest, trustworthy, respectful, and then lastly, faithful. A good friend is faithful. A good friend is loyal. A good friend can be relied upon in hard times. Some friends can't, and some friends can. Let me show you this proverb, 25, 19. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. Again, what vivid imagery. Anybody had a bad tooth? I've had a bad tooth before. When you're seven years old and your tooth falls out when you eat an apple, they give you money for that, right? When you're 47 years old, they don't give you money. That costs you money and time and pain. Your teeth are supposed to stay in your mouth and do what they're supposed to do, which is faithfully chew your food. So if I bite down and one of my teeth says, nope, no thank you, and falls out of my mouth, that is like an untrustworthy friend, right? As soon as there is some weight pressed upon my life, that person says, I'm out. I don't want to be a part of it. Or an unsteady foot. Some of you have had knees or feet that don't work like they're supposed to, right? And you know, you put a little bit of weight, a little bit of pressure, and they just buckle. They don't come through. That's the imagery, that there are some friends that in, in, the, in the heat of our lives, when things get difficult, they are nowhere to be found. But then there are other friends, and this is a beautiful verse, Proverbs 18, 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I love that. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are you the type of friend that sticks closer than a brother? And do you seek those types of friends? Here's the reality, and, and I'll say this. Sometimes we, we actually don't know which are which in our lives until a crisis emerges. I've experienced this in my life, and maybe you have in yours, that sometimes when you're in the midst of grief or crisis or trial, here's what's interesting. Some of the people you think will show up don't. And some of the people that you didn't expect to show up do. And sometimes we can see over the course of a life that those who show up in, in small ways tend sometimes to be those who show up in, in big ways. And so, so Solomon says to his son, I, I want you to seek out those people who demonstrate faithful character, who are willing to enter into the difficulties and challenges and pains of another person's life to bear them up when times get hard. A good friend is faithful. There's uh, this beautiful Old Testament word that's often uh, translated uh, like loyalty or loving kindness or faithfulness. It's a really hard word to translate into English. It's the word hesed. And this word, it's interesting, it is a word that uh, is very defining in the book of Ruth. We mentioned Ruth and Naomi earlier this morning. And if you read the book of Ruth, you'll, you'll see a living picture of this kind of loyalty. 
Both of them lose their husbands. They return widows back to Israel, which for Ruth, by the way, was a foreign land. And Naomi sticks with Ruth, and Ruth sticks with Naomi. And Naomi cares for Ruth, and Ruth and Boaz care for Naomi. And everybody in the story says, even in hard times, even when they're facing poverty, even when there is difficulty, even when it costs me, I'm going to represent the love, the faithfulness, the loyalty of God by sticking with these people, even when it costs me. That's hesed, loyal love, faithfulness. And Solomon says here in Proverbs to his son, seek out people like that and be a person like that. And here's ultimately why. Because we know now that all of these characteristics of a good friend, godly, honest, trustworthy, respectful, faithful, all of these characteristics of a good friend represent Jesus. So that as you and I make friends and as we are friends, we want to look like Jesus. Good friends look like Jesus. Jesus, of course, is godly because he's God in the flesh. He's honest. He always told the truth. He never lied. He spoke the truth, but he spoke it kindly. He's trustworthy. He can be trusted with our joys, our struggles, and our difficulties. He's respectful because he made us in his image, and he values us deeply, and he gives us the room and the time that we need to grow while gently guiding and leading us. And he's faithful. He's faithful. He never leaves. He never abandons us. He's always there. Jesus himself spoke about friendship. And, and you may know the verse. He, he explained friendship like this. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Who's the greatest friend in all of human history? It's Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf. He, he was there in our time of greatest trouble when we were destined for death and hell because we sinned against him. And yet he stayed with us. And he went to the cross and he bore the penalty for our sin. He bore our death and he rose from the dead. And now all who believe in Jesus can have eternal life that is never taken away, that is never revoked because Jesus is an eternally and perfectly faithful friend. Do you know him? And if you don't know him, I want you to know this morning, even if you don't have another friend in the world, even if you're here this morning and you feel completely alone, Jesus is your friend. And all who trust in him have a faithful, eternal friend. And if you have trusted in him, know that you have a friend that never leaves, who never abandons you, who never fails. And so the book of Proverbs leads us to this reality that a, a good friend, a perfect friend, is a friend who is like Jesus. In just a moment, we are going to observe communion, we're going to celebrate the reality of Jesus, that as we sang earlier, what a friend we have in Jesus. We're going to celebrate that reality that he is a friend who laid down his life for us. And what I want to do as we prepare for communion this morning, 
First of all, I, I want us to take a moment and just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. But also, I want us uh, in our own lives to ask these questions. What kind of friends do you keep? Would you say that your friend group uh, can be described by the characteristics we looked at this morning? Or not? There are probably some in this room that you say, I need, I need to, to make some new friends, and I may need to even put some space between me and some people who are bringing out the worst in me. Not that I don't love them, not that I don't pray for them, not that I don't care for them, but it may be that they're not going to be a part of my inner circle anymore, but I'm going to find friends and pray for friends and seek friends who will draw me to Jesus. And what kind of friend are you? And as we thank God for Jesus Christ being our perfect friend, I want us also to say, God, make me a friend like you. Transform my character so I will be this kind of person who walks with you and guides others to walk with you. The communion elements will be in front of you in the uh, seat back in front of you. Uh, Take just a moment as you reflect on these questions and then we will observe communion shortly.